Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and this is The Game, the audio version of the essential football section from The Times. This week's contributors are our editor and our boss, Tony Evans, so we will all be extremely respectful. The chief award distributor, Tony Cascarino, and of course, the man who wrote this week about the damage to Chelsea's reputation and who clearly has an axe to grind going all the way back to a former Chelsea manager who became England manager, it's Matt Dickinson. Later on, we'll therefore discuss that damage and ask what Chelsea should do to move on. Uh, We'll also review Arsenal's fight back at Upton Park. But first, anybody want to say sportsdirect.com arena at St. James Park? You, Tony? You can shut off. All right, that's where we're going. Yes, St. James Park, Newcastle and Manchester United. Now, I want to start with something that, as of Friday, I thought, hey, look, um, maybe Newcastle can get something. United's away record, blah, blah, blah. Then all of a sudden, you see the team, and Perch, the man who viciously assaulted Pepe Reina last year, uh, Williamson, just Shane Ferguson, who I think was making his first start at left back. Um, no Tim Cool in goal. It's George Calkins' mate, Steve Harper. I cast, I just want to get it from you quickly, just as a footballer on the page. When you look up, and you've got four of your starting back five missing. Mm. And not just that, but the people who come on are, I think, safe to say, markedly worse Mm. than the starters. As a player, do you just kind of sort of sit there and cross your fingers, or does it affect the way you might play on the pitch, especially for the midfielders? I certainly think that as Man United team, especially after the way they were demolished last year at Newcastle, St James's Park, in the manner of the defeat and the way that Newcastle played the game, they really threw the kitchen sink at Man United. Asked them questions, Denver Bar's pace, getting in behind. Rio was comfortable as hell in the heart of the defence, you know, just basically picking things up. Um, that Yeah, of course you're going to look at the opposition, you're going to think, well, they're not going to be, maybe they're not going to be as good and they'll give us a bit more of a chance. If you, if no, you can, I'm talking about the teammates. Uh, well, yeah, the teammates of, of... Well, United, I mean, if you're Newcastle, I know you, you can use yeah. United interchangeably, I suppose, but, yeah. but, I mean, do you kind of freak out about who's behind you? Um, 
without well, no, you without making making sure that they don't notice. You don't want to undermine their confidence. No, and also you you respect for your fellow players and your colleagues. Even James Birch. Well, oh, look, they they're not their best players. We know that, and but you still think that people can do jobs and you support them. You know, you walk on the pitch. You know that not every game of every season you're going to have your your best starting eleven. So what you do is you try and make sure that everyone plays to the maximum. And you know, there's been many a side gap who haven't had their best eleven out, and players who who don't last long at particular clubs that do great jobs only on a particular day. It just didn't happen for Newcastle yesterday. Dick, we saw Wayne Rooney basically operating, I guess, at the top of a diamond behind uh, Van Persie and, uh, and Welbeck. It's a variation of what we saw in the Champions League when he was, he was playing there behind uh, Van Persie and uh, Chicharito Hernandez. Is this a viable system for for Manchester United? This this kind of unusual thing without without wingers. Well, it's unusual, as you say. The, the, the lack of wingers is, is is almost the starkest thing, just because Ferguson has, has been so wedded to them. You know, despite all the the different trends um, in the game in the, in the last twenty years. I mean, I, I don't think it's a huge um, problem for Rooney. It's effectively a, a sort of you know only a tiny tweak to the number ten role that he's 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 done you know plenty of times before. I mean, playing behind two strikers, behind one, obviously a, a little bit more responsibility to be sort of aware of what's behind him and to link with midfield but I mean he's he's a bright enough and, and you know on form a good enough footballer to do that so you know I, I, I can see it makes it, it makes a certain sense it brings um, uh, 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 equally I wouldn't say that it suddenly just solves all, all their problems because as you've already intimated I, I'm not sure we can almost judge against the Newcastle team w- which was you know beaten on those two set pieces early on uh, defensively was just all over the place I mean, Colaccini, I thought last season was absolutely exceptional. I think we, we sort of talked so much about Newcastle's forward potential last season. I thought Colaccini was as good as any centre-half in the league, and, and he sorely missed. And um, so, I, yeah, I thought, it, I thought it was interesting. I thought it clearly worked yesterday. I think it's interesting that we're showing that holding players... You know, we don't need to get hung up on a Roy Keane and, and, and having a Roy Keane, a huge physical presence. If you can boss the ball as as Manchester United did, but with, will they be able to boss the ball against teams that are a lot better than Newcastle? That that's yet to be shown. And will they also have three fit and viable central midfielders? Right, because that's the that's the. It just seems to me, Tony, in in terms of, of resource allocation. Um, you obviously have a lot of wingers who, who you're not playing when you play that system, but also it requires an additional body in, in midfield in the three. And that's not really a position in which United are blessed with, with a lot of depth, with, with a lot of depth, especially the kind of depth when people actually stay fit. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't think it'll be too much of a problem in the Premier League. I think because the standard that seems to blame for the most part is pretty weak, and um, they seem to have muddled through in Europe. Uh, I think they'll get found out if they don't buy in the transfer window and the knockout rounds of the Champions League. But you know, I mean, they they've got enough to see them through and I mean I, I thought Newcastle would present them more problems I thought like Newcastle were physical up front and the, you know the push around those centre earths you know I thought um, you know I thought Ben Arthur you know run at them and cause all kinds of problems and they never got them the ball they never got the ball up and they never really created that much and you know you've, you've got to say United set up very nicely for all Newcastle's problems yesterday United protected themselves in areas where they're vulnerable um, now, one thing we saw was, uh, um, was 
once again, discussions about goals. Um, Demba Ba's goal, De Gea doesn't exactly cover himself in glory. He eventually palms the ball out of the goal. From television, I really couldn't tell if the ball had fully crossed the line or not. Um, anybody here pretty definitively sure? No. I, I, you know, after watching it again this morning, um, it's very hard to determine whether that was over the line. And um, it was a, what a time as well, you know, just after half time, an opportunity like that for Newcastle to get back in the game, make a game of it. But how can a referee give? You can't be gambling, you can't be coin flipping for a referee. I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that we have in so football. A referee can't give a goal on the balance of probabilities. Well, no, he can't be. He is a coin flip situation. And it's the same with a penalty and the same with an offside. You can't be just guessing all the time because mm. that's where faults and errors are going to happen more regular. So for me, he couldn't give a goal because it is a real coin flip situation. I've seen it on the replay and I'm still not sure if it's over the line. I think the ref got right as well. I mean, you know, in the linesman, you just couldn't tell. And, you know, it's um, if it was over the line, it was only by the smallest amount. Yeah. So, you know. Tardy, I'm going to put my Michelle Platini mask on and suggest to you that... Uh, I said Tony, I'm at Dicko. Um, and, and, and suggest to you that a goal assistant would have been ideally placed to get it if he was properly positioned. And that, yes, goal line technology may or may not have established whether it was a goal, but a real live human being standing by the post would have been able to, to do the same thing. Well, no, you can't say the whole point of goal line technology is that it would, um, after ridiculous amounts of years of, of waiting uh, and, and, understand, and also years of exhaustive testing, the whole point is that it does tell us whether the ball is blinking across the blinking line. So, you know, that's why this, the technology makes sense, although that now li- then would lead us into my argument, which is that we shouldn't have just have, have, have kept the um, testing to, to goal line technology. We should have looked at the... The, the possibilities um, and and impossibilities of of, of 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 wider video technology, but the whole point if you have a human being there, is he in the right position? Is he looking at the right place? Uh, can he be sure himself to the naked eye? So no, go, I, 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 I think a goal, an extra official there, may have had a good view. He may he may have had a leg in the way. Um, whereas the whole point of the goal line technology is a button goes and it tells us goal or no goal. I wanted to move on to you. There's a story in, in the Times today with the excellent George Colkin about uh, Robin Van Persie possibly facing um, uh, retroactive uh, punishment um, for his elbow. Mm. Tony? Well, you know, it's uh, as usual, the madness of the game. You know, it's... Um you know, people are up and screaming about diving. Elbow's far worse. Um, you know, try and get violence out of football. You know, don't get physicality out. Allow tackling, allow physical contact. But if you're elbowing people, you know, if you're stamping on people, we saw two stamps to me yesterday as well. You know, it's, uh, I mean, and they're the things that people really should be screaming about. Gareth Bale goes down. It's comedy. It's a bit silly. You know, he looks like a monkey, falls over. Ha, ha, ha. We're all enjoying it. No one gets hurt. No one dies. But, you know, an elbow might actually hurt someone. A stamp might end someone's career. 
Cash, you come from a harder time. Um, I, I imagine, uh, well, but then again, you're too young to have played against Joe Jordan, the really, really hard people, right? Mm. Um, Does an elbow to the head I, really hurt that much? I did train with David Webb, and I promise you, as, as tough as opponents I've played, uh, the Chelsea centre off David Webb was as tough as they come. Um, and does an elbow hurt? Yes, it does. I, I played my final game at Nancy. Tony hurt his elbows loads of times. I played in my final game because uh, we have the, the break in France uh, for Nancy. And in the well, that, last, that must have been against soft French sort of surrender monkeys. Listen, Gab, um, I played in the last minute of the, the, the final game before the break. I was going to go to the Caribbean the next day. So, um, and I got a whack on the elbow, broke my nose uh, in the literally last minute, and I've never been in so much pain. I spent with the mesh up your nose and three or four days in hospital and couldn't go, couldn't go and fly away. I've made that sound really silly, but I, I, I tell you, they hurt. And if you catch people with your elbow in the right way, you can really do some serious damage, as there's been some really bad injuries. You know, we, we could all sit here and name one or two of them we've known over the years. But the elbow is a dangerous weapon if it's used with intent. And I think that's the real problem because there is a lot of it about leverage, getting yourself up and, you know, getting the height you need to win headers. Uh, but there are people that know how to do it very well. Like diving, they know how to elbow you with the way they lead. I think we saw a couple examples of yeah. that this so weekend. But I think you've got to have people who are clever enough to know the difference between an accidental elbow and a deliberate one. Dicko, your verdict on Van Persie? Uh, well, looks clumsy at, at best. I think. I mean, he looks like he, you know he sort of feels kabouted there, and there's a, a coming together, and he looks like he, I mean, uh, fore, forearmed him um, in the face to get him away, and if he, he he'll be a very very lucky boy if he's not banned. Right, speaking of suspensions, um, well, I'd like to see. I'm going to come right out and say it. I'd like to see a suspension uh, for Phil Dowd if he does not provide a full and cogent explanation of what happened at Upton Park. We're going to get to the game and some great performances, Santiago Cazorla, uh, Olivier Giroud. I thought West Ham also played well. But Mohamed Diame scores a wonderful goal, a really, really good goal, helped by some horrible defending from Aaron Ramsey. He goes, he celebrates a little too much, possibly jumps in the crowd. Although if you were watching Match of the Day last night, you wouldn't have known because they didn't show it. They, didn't, they don't show that part because I guess it's just not important. And then um, a few minutes later, he goes and he poleaxes um, Mikel Arteta. And again, Match of the Day viewers, Saturday night, sorry, you wouldn't have gotten to see it because it's not important. The goal of the month competition is more important. Um, but... Uh, or hanging out with Manish telling you what's coming up uh, in the middle of the night. But anyway, sorry, I digress. But the Diame's tackle on Arteta, I thought, was absolutely horrible. I, I thought it was very dangerous. Diame immediately knew. He immediately apologizes. And you can look at his face where he says, that's obviously a yellow. Mm. I am about to be sent off. The camera cuts to Sam Allardyce. Mm. He's looking. He's rolling his eyes. He knows his player is going to be sent off. Filled out does not show the yellow card. And there was a lot of speculation. I mean, I watched it on, on, on television at halftime um, on ESPN, both uh, Keegan and Barnes suggesting, oh, no, it's really good common sense refereeing for, uh, um, from, from Phil Dowd not to spoil the game by sending him off because he's already booked him for the goal celebration. I'm sorry, the goal celebration rule is in the books. If you go and you book somebody for that and then they go do something very dangerous like what Diama did, then you have to apply the laws of the game 
and, and, and send him off. There's no alternative. I, I want to hear this guy's explanation in his report. I don't, I don't want to believe that he didn't see the Diame one. I really don't really want to believe that he thought, oh, I didn't, say, I didn't do that because I would have had to send him off. I, I think we should change the rules. I think the referee should send the report to you every Monday morning. But, seriously, but when you see things like that... Hey, Dicko, am, am, am I mad here? I mean, yeah. Tony, hey, help me. That's it. I mean, I, I think if you're going to send him off, the challenge is where it sends him off anyway for. That, you know, and that's fine. And I think that's where he's got it wrong. I mean, you say the rules in the books. It's a stupid rule. Have you ever felt like you could be a lawyer, Gab? Represent a top player and, you know, argue his case. Because you do it very well. I mean, the rules are obvious, and some of them, like Tony touched on, are ridiculous with going into the crowd for me. Um, you know, getting booked for celebrating a goal, I find it hard to digest. But the bottom line is what you touched on earlier. Sam Allardyce absolutely knew his you know, player was he knows. he knows. He knew. His reaction was incredible. He's like, oh, I'm down to 10. So he's I, like, yeah, I think I think that's where Dow got wrong. I think he just should have sent him off. Yeah. I don't think it's a second yellow. Oh, get off. Did anybody off. have any good you reason? You the lad. No, but seriously, unless you, you happen to be a subscriber to the channel was watching that, or why wasn't this... On my highlights program on, on Saturday night. Oh, you're asking us to edit Match of the Day? I'm not going to do it. <laughs> it's two I've weeks in a row. Them. I've offered them. They said no, so I'm not going to tell them how to do it. I see. I, mean, I, I suspect they don't do it because they don't, we don't want to make the referees look bad here. Oh, shiny, know. happy people. Shiny, happy game. Seriously, no. You get a whole disquisition on an analysis of Mario Balotelli's body language by, by noted uh, body language expert and, and, and psychologist Alan Shear. But then at, least, at least this time, I can't remember on this podcast a couple of weeks ago and you were ranting about a referee who had failed to spot Peter Crouch's handball when he, he wasn't failed to spot it he just didn't blink and see it so that you know if you don't Sorry, see what's it, the difference you, between failing to spot no, 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 and no, seeing but, then, but he was in a perfectly justifiable position whereas at least now you are bring, you are drawing up uh, a referee's failure of judgement and that's fine to criticise referees for failure of judgement but don't slag them off for not seeing things that they couldn't see there you go. That's my rant back at you. So All right. you be balanced in your referee basing. Well, let, let's talk about good things. Yes. Santi Cazorla, I think even if you hate Arsenal, if you absolutely loathe the Marble Halls and Herbert Chapman and, Ma- and Martin Keown and Tony Adams, right back to that guy, Dennis, whatever his name. Even if you hate all that stuff. David, David, David. Well, come on. Yeah, yeah. David O'Leary, <laughs> Arsenal legend. You, you've got to go back to them politicking the way into the top division. At, 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 That's at right. Screwing Arsenal out of it. You it's because the producer. Uh, uh, okay. Tottenham, yeah, yeah. Even if you loathe all of that, mm. and Stan Kroenke as well, you have to love Santi Cazorla, don't you? Mm. The, guy, the guy runs around. The guy doesn't really die. I haven't seen him dive this year. He may have gone down easily once or twice. He doesn't dive. He's incredibly skillful. He works hard. It's He's very good. Here's the problem I have. I have an injunction forbidding me to say his name. Santi Cazola. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, he, it's, seriously, it, 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 Cass, doesn't he stand for all that is proper and good in the world of football from what we've seen thus far? Well, I, I made a point in the, the paper this morning that, you know, watching him and Arteta, a matter obviously with Chelsea, but I thought that the two of them absolutely run the show and just clever and those are the crappy Spanish players who well, can't that, get into that the was Spain my argument is imagine a, a Spanish B team with these players that type of quality Carzola was 
excuse me if I don't say his name right, but <laughs> I, he's, 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 his ability to see things, even when people are, are, are blinded, you know, you, he, the, the pass that he gives Giroud, where he's just literally looking one way, cuts it across the back line of defence, that is something very special. Imagine Johnson to used to do that all the time, of course, but he actually held the ball with both hands. Yeah, I, I just, I, the two of them, I, I, I want to give credit to Arteta as well, because Arteta for me has really done well at Arsenal. I, I, I always looked at him at Everton and thought he was a good player, top player for them, wondered if he was a, a much better player, could be a top mm. four player with another club and I thought them two absolutely run the show and West Ham were chasing shadows and they were huffing and puffing and yeah making it difficult but them two and especially Carzola and I just thought they were brilliant all that and Wilshire to come yeah, yeah. I, 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 sorry does anybody have any definitive info just since you mentioned his name does anybody have any definitive or semi-definitive or even just wanted rumour or just make it up or just make it up about Jack Wilshire because 2015 he's definitely back I'm serious I'm asked on Twitter on an almost daily basis and I'm like how the hell do I know except for the fact that the nightclub where he got in trouble in is around the corner from my house but apart from that I have no inside info and I'm told he's come back to training do we know anything no we don't but I want to say uh, in terms of you know the players we've talked about who I'm forbidden to say the names I'm also contractually obliged to say Winter's Night in Stoke Win- oh there you go yes yes we'll see what happens when Mr. Cathorla meets Mr. Shawcross I, I, and Mr. Who. I, I think more, more to the point is you know people are getting to see him for the first time now by mid-season I think you know people will know where he does and will close him down differently um, I think it's less about it's less about muddy pitches and mm. getting roughed up the David as, Silva principle from last year yeah yeah sort of tailed off a bit so you know I mean so I, I you know I'd expect players like that with their talent to make fantastic starts um, the question is whether they can go on and you know go on through the, fu- the full season um, one guy who did not start well and for some reason people felt the need to point to mention him in the same breath as Cherry Henry because they hadn't scored for the same number of, of, uh, of games is Olivier Giroud um, but he got on the score sheet I thought he played very well um, so naturally I will turn to our resident target man here um, Cass, is this a different Giroud than what we saw the first few times out, or did he simply play better today? Um, well, my biggest fear was that he looked, not as a player, but he looked a little bit like Diego Forlan. When he came to Man U, goalkeepers kept making saves. He'd hit the woodwork, he'd hit the bar, and then the games go by, and everyone's saying he's six games without a goal, and you know, and then he's coming off the subs bench, a bit like Diego Forlan experience. And I kept thinking that the chances he had, some of them were some great saves. And it was a bit like the opening periods at Upton Park on Saturday, he made a couple of great, great saves yesterday, and, and Giroud was thinking, he said, what have I got to do to score a goal? And it was, it was that sort of feeling. But I thought he led the line well. Um, does he look a, a convincing finisher? Not really to me. I think it, that's going to be their bigger problem because I think with him and Jarvinio, there's a lot of missed opportunities along the way, whether it is the keeper making a save or some unlucky hit of a bar or a post. I thought he done well, um, but his, his performance was okay. I thought, you know, as a player. I was talking to a lot of people about him and Arsenal fans and people, you know, who've seen a lot of him, and they say his movement's superb. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen him live. He's a very cerebral guy. You know, so yeah, but. I mean, he, he just doesn't seem to have that goal scorer's poacher's instinct. Mm. And I mean, I think um, I, I think I think he'll come good, but he's not going to score a half full of goals. He's not going to be a twenty goal a year, man. Uh, one guy, since you guys talked about Arsenal and, and goal scoring, um, and he did put in a fantastic finish. 
uh, is Theo Walcott, who I, I'm told has put himself forward now. He says he wants to play as a striker. Hey, first, I want to hear from you, Cass. If you had some little tiny guy saying, and you were the starter on your team, let's say Millwall or, or whatever it was, and you had some little tiny guy going like, oh, you know, that, that Cascarino sharing him? I, 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 I'll be your goal scorer gaffer. You know, one of them's a big lung. The other one's slow. Like, get them out. Get them out. Get me in. Who's Wouldn't you lump? be tempted to go in like, what? Uh, by the lump. <laughs> well, well, relative to Teddy, yes. But wouldn't you be tempted to go and like beat the crap out of him? Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. I mean, how does one teammate <laughs> take it when another guy says, like, ooh, let me play in his position? Well, Especially when it's a guy who's been having a hard time like Giroud or like Gervinho, you know, missing industrial quantities of goals. Well, it's an opportunist moment, isn't it, for Walcott? I mean, look, they've lost Henri and then they've got Van Persie and he, he sees that the other strikers who have been given chances haven't been taking them and, you know, what? Well, I, I guess a job, I can do that. It's one of them and I think he sees himself as, as that particular you, role. You would have flushed his head down the dressing room toilet, wouldn't you? That's what you would have done. I don't know you head. I don't even want to say what Teddy would have done to him. Final point, uh, just because we need to talk about them since they did win the World Cup, um, and we haven't shown them enough love, I think, this year. Um, Sam Allardyce's West Ham looks extremely comfortable. They've spent some money. Um, they're up there. I, I, I hate to bring up Andy Carroll because he used to play for, for your club, Tony. Um, and as Tony Barrett pointed out in his Liverpool uh, press rep- uh, um, match report, yeah. you know, he's twisted the knife again <laughs> on Andy Carroll. Um, hey, Dicko, I want to I I get you on this, but hey, this is... Somebody described this as like a far more sophisticated thinking man's stoke, the way Allardyce plays, which I don't think is really fair to Allardyce. Um, I think there's more to it than that. And he's, but and and then to me, this West Ham side are different and are kind of an evolution from or not evolution, but just different from say Allardyce's bolted teams. Did do you like what what you've seen? Did you like the way he's using Nolan? 
Well, no, yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I mean, uh, I think I think there'll be days when when you know if they're using Carol that they they can they can look um, sort of look direct. But if you've got the army doing stuff as Tay, I, I think they've got enough variation. I mean, Bolton Bolton actually, you know, people sort of talked about um, them in, in stereotypical form, but they didn't. They weren't. They were full of contradictions. They you know they would have Kevin Davis battering away, but then at the same time they would have a culture they would have um, Campo Spaniards the ball big, yeah, exactly frizzy yeah. head um, and, and and so they were you know it, it's, it's way too way too lazy to, to no, I, you, I, you I, could I, argue I, that Allardyce's teams actually have more contradictions than any managers because so I don't do you see it as contradictions or the well, way a, it was supposed a, to be I, I think they have variations well, you know they, yeah, variations. Is that they, there is a sort of contradiction in perception that, and, you know, no, you know, yeah, that, yeah perception but it, it seems to me Tony uh, um, that it was just basically a team of specialists I mean if you saw El Hadjouf and, and, and Stelios on the wing they would do the same thing over and over you know run at the defender try to get a free kick you had Ivan Campo whose job was to pass it accurately um, you know often long but you know you, he and in a brief period Herrera was there was two of the best long passers in the history of the game and then when that didn't work you had JJ to do something completely different it seemed to me like it was a bunch of individuals who came together as a team who were so specialized in their positions Okay, let me just think about this. A bunch of individuals who came together as a team. Hmm. Okay. Whatever it was, was was a, was a squad of players which you picked from who could vary the style of football that they played from time to time. And I actually quite like that. I mean, you know... It was a know, certain polyvalence to what they did. I am <laughs> going to come over there. I am. Uh, um, I mean, the thing is, what, what, what these is, you, you couldn't relax against them. You couldn't say, you know, this is just going to be an aerial bombardment. You know, you, you couldn't just pick up the big men up front and just wait, you know, because, you know, they might pass the ball short and they might come through. And and the variations is what obviously makes teams dangerous. I think teams that play to a template and play a set style are much easier to play against. You don't have to think too much playing against them. And the one thing that Sam Allardyce's teams do is they make you think a little bit. And and that's you know perhaps we 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 take we take the Mickey Adam a bit much you know all the Aladdishio stuff and all that and he does you know he he does give a very yeah he he plays up to the buffoon but you know what he's been in the game a long time and his teams do all right and they they they're a long way from going down West Ham they'll do all right yeah, yeah I mean, they also had a, quite a bit, quite a few resources put into the team as well but I, I agree with you I mean I think Allardyce is is, is executing very well his, his game plan and he knows what he's doing. All right, let's move on to the debate. It's a story that just won't go away. It's like some kind of weird form of venereal disease back in the 60s, which I can say that because it was before I was born. Um, Ashley Cole, John Terry, we got the, uh, uh, we got the, the written judgment on, on Friday. Um, there wasn't too much that surprised me in the written judgment, except for one thing which surprised me and annoyed me. And I'm going to go straight to you on this, Dicko. In your can you because you've reported on this for months. Before we get into the specifics of, of of Terry and Cole and the implications and how Chelsea handle it, does it seem normal to you that I'm an employee of the FA and my boss says this is a very important case involving the England captain accused of racially abusing uh, another player? Um, I need you to go to Chelsea and get witness statements from the England captain um, and these other two witnesses, these two teammates of his, I don't know, let's call them John Obi Mikel and Ashley Cole, 
And I, FA employee, say, okay, yes, boss, I'm going there now. And I go over to Chelsea's training ground, and I have a, a, a tape recorder with me, uh, or not really a tape recorder because it doesn't really exist anymore, but I have some kind of voice recorder with me, which I use to record the England captain's testimony, uh, which I will then use to write up his witness statement, which he will sign. And then I sit down with Ashley Cole, and I don't tape record my conversation with him. I Whether it's because my tape recorder is now broken, whether I've lost it with the turn on of batteries, I don't know. But I don't. Instead, I rely on handwritten notes, uh, which my colleague Adam, who's with me, he also takes notes. I write up the notes. I go home. I prepare the, the witness statement. I send it to Ashley Cole for him to sign off on. He makes a couple amendments to it. Um, and then later I call him or I, I talk about his evolving testimony because he, he made an amendment to my handwritten notes. Does this seem normal to you? Well, it's, it's clearly less than satisfactory that they didn't tape that the conversation. But I, I, I mean, I'm not making excuses for them. I can only guess that they. Do you know this woman? They, they her, probably she has, she has a name. Her name is Jenny Murray. Do you know her? No, no, no. Does, does Alex Horn know her? I guess they must know each other. Well, because this the, is procedurally fact, crap. Yeah, well, it's crap, but the fact is, well, there's two things here. I mean, I'm not making, say, I'll probably, which is which is no excuse whatsoever, they never guessed that it would probably get so big or that Ashley Cole's role in it maybe would get so big, but that's no excuse. But I'm the saying is that uh, I'm fishing around for an explanation because we all would like to know. What gets me about the FAs, how can you not do this properly and not give the defense team any kind of excuse? I, 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 th- I think this this is an important point because what it does it gives the cranks and con- conspiracy theorists like Gabriel the chance <laughs> to say things like this and it, it's, it's the weakness in the FA again it was the weakness in the whole Suarez thing the procedures are, are all wrong and you know what they're not taught through it's a mess and it's, not, it's not good enough I, I agree but then equally you know but I think it, it is an important point that the FA needs a big kick up the backside about about their procedure as you say the staff needs to be in a big dressing down about the way they document um, they document evidence and they have to assume say it's bringing back my other point they have to assume that this could blow up into mm. you know a, what was well, it yeah, equally, equally the obviously the main, the main part of the story is, <laughs> exactly the main part of the story is, is well not the but you know equally that doesn't mean to say that it is not insignificant that of all the words that Ashley Cole should think has been left out which were, you know, were not mentioned in either note of all the words that he should suddenly say ah the one you didn't mention was the word black and of all the words that, that Dave Barnard should should bring up in a statement he, he submitted a week before the hearing of all the words that, the words that he should say why have you not mentioned this would be effing and C well we've, we've picked on the FA enough um, and John Terry and Ashley Cole have been picked on a lot, but let's pick on Chelsea. Tony, you're very good with, with PR and, and diplomacy and that sort of thing. Um, if, if you got a call from, um, uh, from Ron Gurley at Chelsea and says, like, help me, Tony Evans, you're my only hope, we need better PR just from a public image and a what's right perspective, uh, and obviously the interests of the club, what should I do? 
Well, what they should have done is what, and what they'd never do is they should have taken, once he's found guilty, Terry action themselves against him internally. Once he was found guilty, what, in the criminal case or in the FA? In the well, FA, FA was found not guilty, guilty, right. So, I mean, they, 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 they should have done it there. I mean, you know, they, they allowed, they opened them, themselves up for sniggering because you look in the programme on Saturday and it's like, you know, Chelsea stand firm against, you know, racial insults and all that, you know, and all that. And it does seem a, 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 a bit of a contradiction. But I mean, the problem is they've got the clubs don't have a lot of control over the players. I mean, Matt wrote on Saturday morning about uh, the uh, Ashley Cole instant with yep. the, the air gun. Chelsea tried de- desperately to get him to apologise, and he wouldn't. You know, it's uh, and and uh, the club. To be fair, I believe the guy he shot was mocking him. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and after all, we've all shot people. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, can, I ju- can I just say that look, it's, it's, it's such a no-brainer. A club is going to stand by a player that's a value, that's an asset, and they want. A club will get rid of a player and look to be seen doing the right thing if they don't want him. Right. But, 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 is, there, but there is an issue now in terms of in terms of image. I mean, uh, you know, there was a paper advocating on Sunday that the, the Chelsea sponsors should get involved and disassociate and you know put pressure on the club. If you look at the fact, Ashley Cole's contract expires in June. Hmm. Um, John Terry's contract has a few years to run, but you know they have other players there. Would you consider making a stand against them and uh, taking a chance? Would there? Roberto? How would Roberto see this? He think, would look. Sorry, at, sorry, I want to win title. Okay, I sorry, win. sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, see, we we yeah. can't have it both ways. No. We can't have it where when Chelsea wins something, oh Roberto doesn't do anything because he's not really in charge. And now you know perfectly well that it's not Roberto Di Matteo's uh, decision how these two get handled. Right? He would he would have a voice. I'm yeah, sure. He, he, would ha- he would have a voice in the yes, room of a hundred sure. people who shout loudly, and his would be a very soft voice. Well, I think that's the reality. Uh, and also, he's a, he's a coach. He's, he's not. Right, in, Chelsea, in Chelsea's case, there's only one bloke who decides something yeah. like this. I mean, there's yeah. there's one. You know, voice ev- is a Russian voice. And, uh, yeah, and everyone everyone knows like Chelsea. Chelsea you speak to someone and they say, "Well, I expect this to happen today." But if we get one call from a large boat floating off off Monaco, then everything could change. That's, right. the, that's the way Chelsea operates. Well, Dicko, then you play the PR consultant um, the, the way Tony just did. What well, would you, what would you advise I mean, Roman to do? But then, you know, that's, that's the trouble. If you're a PR consultant, you, you, the first thing you ask, you sit down and, and will ask them is, where do you want to go? And they will say, well, we're totally compromised by the fact that John Terry's our captain and we, we're totally compromised by the fact that if we, you know, sack him, then someone else will, will just pick him up on the free transfer because that's, that's how football works. And we're totally compromised by the fact that, you know, that's the environment we work in and we don't make moral judgments. We make... We make practical judgments so you know that's that that's that's the problem you start with isn't it you, you know you're, you're you're not asking for sort of PR advice about image you're asking for PR advice of damage control that's how that's how football works I, I don't know that there's do we feel that there's kind of no way out here because John Terry for him to apologize at this stage would mean for him to say I've been lying or misrepresenting the truth before and it seems to me that everybody kind of agrees, you know, regardless of what the panel found, but so many people certainly seem to feel that he was racially abusing um, Anton Ferdinand when he said that. So there's kind of no – is there really a way out for John Terry? I mean, if, if, you, if you were Terry Dicker, what would you do? 
Well, it's a since you look more like him than anybody. It's a fascinating, as you say, because ultimately, you know, everyone's we're all bashing him over the head, understandably, saying, you know, apologize. I mean, first of all, let's, this is, as a matter of fact, obviously he's got to get the appeal done first. So Chelsea, Chelsea can be excused not making um, making their position 100% clear by the fact that you know they've got to give him the right to to work out if he's going to appeal or not. Um, but yeah, on from Terry's point of view himself, as you say, if, if we uh, we'll bash him over the head saying apologize, um, apologize, and of course. How sincere is that going to be? You know, d- 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 surely an apology needs to have a certain degree of sincerity to be worth the, is, is worth, the, spot worth, worth the paper is written on. Well, so. I would have done if I was John Terry. I wouldn't have been shouting, "You effing black!" See it, anyone? It's as simple as that. There's no apologies. So I'm no, assuming no. you don't believe, you don't think there's any chance that his version of events is, I, is accurate. I, I personally don't. But I, there's no apologies. There's no going back. And apologies only make this work. The only thing Terry can do now is shut up and play football. Chelsea will stand by him. And, you know, people won't, won't exactly forget. But, like, I, I think an, an apology now would just rake it all up again and, and just make everyone angrier. Well, um, it, it, it's funny because... I go back to this, but you know, Premier League told us last year was the greatest ever Premier League season. Um, I flip on the, the TV, I, I hear somebody saying that this is what a tremendous start. We've never had a better start to a Premier League season this year. I'm starting to wonder if everybody is just is just smoking the same doobie here. Um, Everything's always better than it's ever ever been because like, yeah. the world's great. Right now, time for some quick hits. Liverpool are held at home by Stoke, but the big talking point is Luis Suarez's ridiculous dive. And if you haven't seen this, go on YouTube. There's a GIF out there as well. Violate all sorts of copyright because it really is worth seeing. Um, Tony, I know you've got some thoughts on this because you included this in your column. Well, it's embarrassing, isn't it? You know, and it, it, it's pure comedy. You know, it, it's a joke. And he's, you know, he's a disgrace and all that. Yeah. He wasn't cheating. He was just trying to be funny. Trying yeah, to make of course, he was trying to cheat, but you know what? It's so laughable, and it's but it's not the problem in the game. He gets stamped on his chest a bit later on, and that's a bit more dangerous. You know what? Fine him retrospectively. I don't care. You know, sit him down. But what, what got me even worse is Brendan Rodgers. Oh, I, I looked away. A bit of Venga vision there, like oh yeah, it was um oh yeah, I was I was just checking my iPad, checking my emails when that happened. Because like when your team's attacking and you're in the opposition box, you always look away. That's right, do when my teams are attacking I look away so I'll miss any instance like dives or penalties that might go for us or against us and you know what the hypocrisy of it all and Liverpool fans oh look, look at Bale diving look at Bale diving Tottenham fans look at Suarez diving look at Suarez diving it's all crap there you go happy Monday morning to everyone where was the, where was the duck where's the what that where he went over 30 seconds there, Tony. He's our boss. He's allowed to. <laughs> uh, Dicko, are you starting to think the champions of Europe are legitimate title contenders, even with a lame duck like Roberto Di Matteo at the helm? Uh, they've got to be title contenders. Even I mean, I don't think that any of the the, the, the main three who I would expect to be are, are, are flawless. So it, it's got every chance of being a, a reasonably close season. I think uh, I've got a couple of, 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 of doubts. Um, the reliance on Torres, obviously, they're not got backup for him. Him. I still think uh, any team that's re- too reliant on Obi Mikel is 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 an accident waiting to happen. Um, uh, but um, yeah, contenders, um, of course, and and playing some lovely stuff. In Dickinson's world, Daniel Sturridge is clearly not a viable backup to Fernando Torres, and I tend to agree. 
Manchester City inflict the first defeat of the season on Sunderland. Cass, is this par for the course? Or should we maybe praise them for bouncing back after getting played mm. off the park in midweek by one Borussia Dortmund? Well, uh, Sunderland were there for the taking. I've got to be sad. I was disappointed in them. Martin O'Neill set his team up basically to try and do, do what he'd done at the Emirates. Frustrate Arsenal and got a draw. Um, he tried the same approach. Um, they took their couple of chances that they had. They didn't need to do a lot, Man City, on, the particular, on that day, on Saturday. They didn't need to do a lot. And I thought, I'm surprised. Uh, McLean out wide, thought he was disappointing. The League of Ireland player last year and had a big you know, birth to the Premiership. And then Adam Johnson, I thought, he was really indifferent. I know he's been out injured, but they, they were there for the taking, Sunderland, and City didn't have to do a lot, and they did get the result. There's a managerial vacancy at Blackburn, and as I read in the game today, Alan Shear is interested, really interested. Tony, is this a bad idea or a really, really, really bad idea? I, I, I think it's a brilliant idea because what you've got is one really, really crap set of owners and one really, really crap football punters who showed us nothing at all in terms of tactical acumen and organising teams in his short career at Newcastle. So let's get them together, let it all explode, except I just feel sorry for those four Blackburn fans of Dewood Park. West Brom are sailing pretty close to the top of the table. Any broad conclusions we can draw? Like maybe that Steve Clark is a better coach than Roy Hodgson or Robbie D. Dicko? Uh, I love West Brom questions because as the man who tipped them certainly for relegation, I think seeing them in sixth place um, with 14 points is, um, just shows my expert analysis. I've never been convinced is, is as good as, as certainly Matt Hughes, uh, my respected colleague, um, makes out. Um, he seems to have a good um, set up there. They seem to know what, uh, know what they're doing. Um, yes, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll happily eat humble pie on this one if it continues. Hugo Lloris stars for Spurs ahead of Brad Friedel in their 2-0 win uh, over Aston Villa. Cass, was this inevitable? And uh, more importantly, is it a good move for AVB? Well, I've got to be honest, Brad Friedel's had a sensational start to the season and has got to find himself... He's old, he's working on a contract, well, okay. he's got no hair, okay. funny accent. He did, you know, you normally drop people for performance and you certainly couldn't accuse Brad Friedel of being lacking in quality in the results they've had at the start of the season. Intelligent move? Um... Fortunately for Tottenham is that Villa didn't ask many questions and wasn't really tested and Loris done okay. Come for a few crosses, didn't look greatly convincing. Uh, there'll be far bigger tests. I think the intelligent move is going to be decided in the next month or so when we watch Tottenham games and how well he does. Problem is, Friedel's uh, out of contract in the season. He's going to disappear in a puff of smoke whereas you'll be stuck with an unhappy Frenchman if you don't I, do I think it's a massive mistake. Hugo Lloris will never ever feature in a half-man, half-biscuit song like Brad Friedel did. <laughs> All right, Mout, you're European football co- correspondent, so tell us about the classical 2-2. Who'd be more pleased with it? Um, well, at the risk of sitting on the fence, um, I actually think they'll both be uh, pleased on it. I thought Real Madrid played extremely well. I like the fact that they actually kept their shape in the 4-2-3-1 rather than doing the, the thing that Mourinho teams have been doing of late, of sort of everybody defend and then play on the counter. Um... I think avoiding defeat means that they're eight points back, which seems like a lot, but there's still 30-odd games to play, plus, of course, the return fixture. I think if you're Barcelona, given your injury situation, given the way you went into it with with Adriano starting at at center half, um, you kind of feel that, you know, hey, 
we got a draw. The lead's still eight, and we're one step closer to the goal. Um, that said, Messi and Ronaldo, fantastic. And I'll leave you with a very un-Jose-like quote, which uh, uh, the, the, the great man came out with last night. We're talking about Messi and Ronaldo, who were both fantastic in this game. He said, it should be forbidden to debate whether Messi is better than Ronaldo or vice versa, because these two are simply extraterrestrials. That said, I will suggest that Ronaldo is better simply because he's my player and he won the title last year. I thought that was kind of sweet. He also, he also said it, it, it would be not befitting of a gentleman's club like Real for me to complain about penalties. Which yes. he, must, he must have said with an evil cackle at the same time, surely. And then, of course, he complained and loudly about uh, Pepe uh, and on Iniesta. That's all we've got time for this week. It's been fun, and it's been real, and it's been real fun. Come find us on Twitter to share your thoughts, uh, or you can email gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. We get a bulging mail back every week, but unfortunately, Chris Skinner goes and deletes all those mails because he doesn't want to hurt my feelings. You can go to thetimes.co.uk. You'll find all your news, your gossip, your analysis. You'll find my wonderful column on Monday. You'll find my wonderful blog on uh, on Tuesday. In fact, Tuesdays is always good because you either get me one week, or you get the very talented George Culkin. There's web chats, too. Uh, Dicko, when's your web chat? Uh, Thursday. Bring it on. Thursdays. There you go. And I'm happy to web chat on Tuesdays. Till next time. Bye-bye.